Chapter 7 of The Mute Singer by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 7 Reaction. Sylvie tossed restlessly on her couch that night, oppressed by troubled dreams. When she woke with a start, her thoughts were confused and an indefinable weight pressed upon her spirits, and she felt haunted by a strange, vague sense of disappointment. Though the dawn had broken, and it was her custom to rise before the sun, she only gazed wearily about her and sank again into an unquiet slumber. Why was it that one visionary shape stood uninvoked before her, and in all the vividness of actual presence, in reality, she had hardly looked into that face, yet she distinctly remembered every feature, the deep-set, luminous hazel eyes, the expansive intellectual brow, the waving chestnut hair so fine and soft that it appeared thin and threatened by early baldness, the well-cut nose, the too strongly defined curve of the mouth which gave an expression of coldness and hauteur to the countenance until the lips parted with a smile she recalled too how suddenly the frost melted beneath the glowing warmth of that smile and the entire visage was lighted up with a winning softness wholly opposite to its dominant character in repose Almost all young maidens picture to themselves the beau ideal of manhood, for which, as their journey through life progresses, they zealously search. Sylvie had seen few gentlemen, we might say almost none. Never before had a word been addressed to her by one whose noble bearing even slightly approached the demeanor of the Marquis de saint Amand. Was it unnatural her girlish imagination should have found a beau ideal unsought? He was the husband of the fairy-like being whom she knew only as Honorine. But what had that to do with Sylvie's admiration? Did she not experience as much, or even more, for his wife? It was the type of man and woman by which she was fascinated. Wherefore should she feel disturbed? She sprang out of bed, as though in rising she could escape from her own tormenting reflections. She found herself singularly weak. She staggered back and sank again upon the couch. Her hands were burning, her lips and tongue parched. She longed for a glass of water, yet had not the strength to seek it, and would not venture to disturb her mother, or, rather, would not run the risk of exciting those ready fears by which the latter was so easily tantalized. After suffering for some time in silence, Sylvie made another effort and began slowly to dress. The very weight of her clothes seemed too great for her to bear. Her limbs trembled, and surrounding objects danced and swam before her eyes, till she forced herself to continue her toilette. The cool water, which she greedily drank, could not quench her thirst, but after she had dashed a quantity in her face, she felt somewhat refreshed. Nerving herself to conceal her languor, 
she lifted the old calico curtain and passed into her mother's room it was late and madame de la roche had prepared the breakfast a duty which always devolved upon sylvie the latter tried to speak in a cheerful tone but was very thankful to her father for monopolizing the conversation and she was still more grateful when he took up his hat and went forth without noticing her fagged look and unusual flush on her cheeks he was impatient to relate to his quondam employer the notary and any other friends whom he could find the events of the previous night and to descant upon the brilliant prospects they heralded the weary girl though she longed to lie down again had too much consideration for her mother to yield to this inclination and mechanically opened the piano her hot hands had no power over the keys her voice when she tried to sing was tremulous the dark floating mist passed before her eyes until the very lilies which she had taken from her hair the night before and placed in a little tin cup that stood on the shelf above the piano grew black as she gazed at them mother she said at last without turning and supporting her throbbing head on her hands did not mademoiselle ursule say yesterday that it was necessary for me to have another dress before i appeared again in public perhaps she is right and if i sing again soon as i hope i shall a strange foreboding made her shudder and pause but she rallied we had better lose no time i am a little tired to-day too tired to sit long at the piano may i not pay madame ursule a visit and talk over this important affair of the dress yes of course you will have some money enough to purchase something handsome that is if maitre bourgeau pays you as he promised to do but are you tired it quite frightens me to hear you say so is it not natural mother after my sitting up so late and going through so much excitement and exertion there it is there it is excitement and exertion you will never be able to stand i thought so from at first you will break down and that it is all over with us pray mother dear don't put such an idea into my head you cannot think how the very suggestion troubles me sylvie could hardly repress her quick springing tears she wept readily for she had never known trials tinged with bitterness that cannot find relief in the heaven-sent boon of tears she had never known the despairing anguish that dries up tears she had never known the hidden griefs that teach us to control our tears while they drop inwardly like molten lead upon the scalded heart i am only tired mother she answered trying to conceal her brimming eyes and perhaps it would do me a little good to talk to gossip a little maitre bougeot would say with mademoiselle ursule may i go yes yes though i hope you are not growing vain and commencing to attach importance to your appearance if that is the case the next thing you will be looking down upon us as many a child who rises above her parents has done before i confess that is a sorrow i am not prepared for nor shall you ever have need to be mother i am sure i have given you no cause to imagine that i will ever be so unfilial have i no no not yet 
but we never know what sad stroke is coming. Sylvie was unable to reply, but kissed her mother, and trying to command her faltering feet, and walk with her usual light, firm step, left the room. In the entry she paused. She felt as if she could go no further. As she leaned against the wall, she caught sight of Matayu, who probably had been hovering about the door. I am so glad you are here, Matayu. I feel so tired this morning. I do not want my mother to know how tired it would alarm her. I am going to refresh myself by chatting with Mademoiselle Ursule. Will you give me your arm to help me down the stairs? It's very stupid of me to be so weak. It would not be easy to depict the emotion of the poor boy at being called upon to render this slight assistance to one whom he regarded with idolizing reverence. Until that moment, the miserable hunchback had never felt in his own person the superiority of manhood over the weaker sex, but as he supported Sylvie, he experienced a glow of manly pleasure, and his crippled frame rose erect, as though, through the might of this new sensation, it could cast off its deformity. They reached the mantua-maker's door. He knocked, and Sylvie was joyfully admitted. The next minute she sank, overpowered, into the arms of the kind-hearted old maid, told her how ill and exhausted she felt, and begged her to do something to strengthen and restore her without disturbing her mother. Ursule tenderly made her lie down upon the bed, loosened her clothes, then prepared a cooling drink, talked to her soothingly, bathed her hot temples and burning hands, bound a wet napkin on her brow, and in a very short time saw her fall into a sweet slumber. There, she has found the best restorative. Sleep is worth a whole doctor's shop of medicines, said the sympathizing dressmaker, as she softly took out her work and sat down to watch her patient. Sylvie slept for a long time undisturbed, and did not even hear the knock at the door, nor her master's rough voice exclaiming, Where's that little runaway, flown from her cage I hear above? I suppose she's growing lazy after her triumph, and moreover is going to trouble us with her airs, so her wise mother upstairs predicts. Ursule beckoned him into the room without speaking. She was always rather nervous about addressing him, and merely pointed to the couch. Is she ill? Do you think she is ill? gasped Maitre Bougeot very feverish and weak and worn out but i trust not ill she will wake up much better her skin is cooler already and she gently laid her fingers upon the thin hands that were folded upon sylvie's bosom maitre bourgeot bent over her with a tenderness it is not easy to imagine him capable of experiencing yet possibly there was a dash of selfishness mingling with the compassion and anxiety expressed in his face if by the cultivation of her genius his hand had opened an arena to the child of poverty and misfortune wherein she could win laurels that were golden and earn fame that was wealth had she not done the same for him and now were the shining gates of this bright future suddenly to close again both because of her lack of strength to keep them open? A fragile casket to hold such a gem, he ejaculated half to himself, 
Then, turning to her stool, added, I comprehend why she came down to you. That mother of hers would worry her life out of her with tiresome fears and predictions. It's cruel. It's abominable. They stood for a while in silence. Suddenly, Ursule remembered to offer her guest a chair. He took it and seated himself at the foot of the bed. Ursule resumed her work. Neither could have told how long Sylvie slept, for both had fallen into a deep reverie. At last, the slumberer stirred. Her lips moved, as though they were about to sing, but only one low note escaped them. The sound or effort awakened her, and she opened her large blue eyes and gazed in wonder at her master, then turned to Ursule. "'You have had a good rest, child,' said Bougeot. "'Are you better? Do you feel refreshed?' "'Much better. How good it was of you, Mademoiselle Ursule, and you, my kind master, not to wake me. How late is it?' Some time past noon, replied Ursule, looking at the shadows upon the wall by which she could always tell the time in the absence of the luxury of a clock. So late! What will my mother think? She will be terribly frightened. I must go back at once. She raised herself and slid off the bed, but as her feet touched the ground, the floor for an instant seemed floating away from her, and she clutched at the bedclothes for support. "'Let me fasten your dress and smooth your hair,' said Ursule. "'There, that will do. "'Now drink a little more of this lemonade.' Sylvie drank eagerly, for her thirst was still unslaked. "'I intend to go up with you,' remarked Bougeot, in a decided tone. "'Not for a lesson. "'I will not allow you to sing today, for you are too weak. "'But I must talk with you about future plans.' I would rather remain here and converse, but your mother will get one of her tantrums unless you make your appearance as soon as possible. Thank you for thinking of her, began Sylvie. No, indeed. It was you and your comfort I was thinking of. I know what a pandemonium she can make of her apartment when she conjures up her blue devils and gives them possessions of the chamber. As they were going, Sylvie remembered her errand. It was about my dress that I came to consult you, Mademoiselle Ursule. You said I must not wear my white muslin again just yet. My mother wished me to ask you what change you advise. Say that I advise a plain white silk, which will become you amazingly, and will be very useful hereafter, for with skill and taste we can transform it into a number of dresses an overdress of a crepe or tulle or tartan, or trimmings of ribbons or flowers or velvet will vary it charmingly. Don't forget that I am ready to accompany you to purchase the dress whenever you choose. It had better be made up at once. Sylvie took her master's arm in ascending the stair, but perceiving how heavily she leaned, he encircled her waist to support her better. She looked up gratefully, and then, with childlike confidence, laid her head gently on his shoulder. Affection was inexpressibly sweet to her. A single touch of kindness warmed her to her heart's core, strengthened her when she was most weak, gave her new life when vitality seemed exhausted, 
as might have been expected madame de la roche was both alarmed and indignant at her daughter's prolonged absence she was on the eve of going in search of her sylvie begged pardon and without mentioning the slumber by which she had been refreshed delivered ursule's message about the white silk dress madame de la roche approved of the selection if they could afford it she added glancing meaningly at maitre Bourgeau. He answered the look with a scowl, and seemed inclined to replace the old pocket-book which he had taken out, but a glance at Sylvie dispelled the evil prompting. Monsieur Lagrand, pay me this morning, Sylvie. There is one hundred francs, your share. He laid five glittering louis d'or in her lap. I feel as though I have no right to so large a portion, she said hesitatingly you will not find it so large if you have a white silk dress to purchase i don't intend to give you a lesson to-day the mother groaned audibly and muttered to herself no lesson now he'll begin to neglect her and she'll soon forget all she has acquired Bougeot heard but went on without heeding the ungracious remark you have not yet heard what monsieur legrand desires i am in treaty with him for something permanent we have not come to terms yet legrand wants us so it will not do to seem anxious there is a concert of which he is in charge at the duke blank in the faubourg st germain next week we are engaged meantime i will not have you fag yourself out you want rest fresh air and a generous diet a bit of meat and a glass of vin ordinaire every day for dinner. You must have both today. I shall send Mademoiselle Ursule up to you, give her your orders and the money, and she will purchase your dinner as well as your dress. Remember, you are to take my prescription without fail. A mutton chop and a glass of wine, and after that you must rest or amuse yourself. No work, no practicing. As the door closed upon him, sylvie's mother exclaimed curiously i foresee he has to become an absolute tyrant over us he orders our very dinners he will take the whole control of our domestic concern before long and we shall be his absolute slaves no mother he is only thinking of what is best for me his pupil he sees how important it is that i should grow strong and that is the reason he gives those minute directions which are we are bound to follow ursule now made her appearance the appropriateness of the white silk dress was discussed at length and its purchase decided upon then in obedience to maitre bougeot's commands for he had given ursule a hint it was settled what provisions should be bought for dinner are you not going with me sylvie shopping will amuse you it is a delightful occupation when one has money and she glanced significantly at the gold pieces which still lay in sylvie's lap i would rather stay at home and amuse myself quietly since i am to have a holiday replied sylvie she would not confess that she still felt too weak to walk but i wish my dear mother could be persuaded to go with you the day is delightful and the air would do her good and you need not hurry so she will not fatigue herself 
do go mother added sylvie beseechingly as she placed the gold in her mother's hand the apathetic mother looked doubtful but inclined to yield a little more coaxing and she was conquered she laid the louis d'or in on the table and was tying her bonnet when in walked the husband his eyes sparkled as though they reflected the glitter of the gold upon which they rested when he was informed of maitre bougeot's orders in regard to sylvie he replied gaily he is quite right he's a good fellow and it's very thoughtful him but i will attend to all that i will be your banker my rich little daughter he was delightedly gathering up the bright louis d'or when ursule interfered you must leave us enough to purchase a white silk dress monsieur de la roche that's indispensable we shall be very fortunate if we get it for ninety francs and there will be ten over have the goodness to wait until we are certain of the exact amount nonsense nonsense my good ursule after i have provided a suitable repast you shall have the change this is a very small sum after all but of course it is only earnest of what is to come and we must try to make it do for the present saying this he quietly put the gold pieces into his empty purse and sallied out leaving his wife and daughter and their devoted friend not a little discomfited prudence had been wholly omitted in the elements that composed the character of edvard de la roche in his expenditures he never invents the slightest forethought or stopped to make the most natural calculations he invariably purchased when the means were obtainable whatever pleased his fancy without condescending to anything so mean as economy without reflecting that there were actual necessities to which the sum in question ought to be devoted without ever asking himself whether the money in his possession was his own or belonged to his creditors and without admitting that honesty made it theirs if it chanced to be due them when he returned to his lodgings an hour later he was accompanied by a man who carried a large basket with a munificent air he gave the porter a piece of silver placed the basket on the table and with boyish glee bade everyone gather round first he took out a beautiful bouquet which he had purchased at the celebrated madeleine flower market this he pronounced absolutely necessary to dress the table for a decent meal next he brought forth some large strawberries and some fine cherries he had evidently selected the best that could be procured of each fruit then he produced a perigord pie a most expensive delicacy some tarts a pair of fine fowls a tongue an ample supply of soup meat a fresh salmon some green peas and artichokes a bottle of olives and three bottles not of vin ordinaire the customary dinner drink of france but a fine claret of choice vintage it is quite a luxury to market once more he exclaimed rubbing his hands hilariously i have so long been denied the inestimable privilege that i really enjoyed it i fancy we shall dine to-day my dear marguerite do look merry for once i imagine it is those unbecoming caps of yours which always give your face that gloomy look 
See what I have bought to conjure back the expression of old times, and for you to do the honor of our dinner by wearing. He took from a paper in which had been neatly folded a pretty white lace cap, trimmed with bright ribbons, and tossed it towards her. But, Monsieur de la Roche, what have you been doing? asked Ursule dolefully. After the money you must have spent in all these provisions and that cap, how much can there be left for Sylvie's white dress? My good friend, come and dine with us today and don't talk nonsense. I really do not know what change I have over, but it will be wanted before our next supply of gold comes in. He drew from his pocket a few pieces of silver, among which shone but one remaining Louis d'Or. What could Sylvie do? What could her mother say? Both were silent, one from respect, the other from despair. Not so, Ursule. To eat up a white silk dress, which Sylvie needs so much in this fashion. It's absurd, Monsieur de la Roche. It's monstrous. It's a cannibal proceeding, for it's eating that child's flesh and blood. A few francs would have purchased a capital dinner and left money over for that dress. What are we to do? Dine and dine once more, returned Monsieur de la Roche jovially. My good soul, have the philosophy to enjoy the present by dining with us today and not finding fault with my catering for our humble table and let the dresses of the future take care of themselves. Here, Sylvie, put this bouquet in water. It is for you, who have always so delighted with flowers. I fear you have nothing to hold them with but that broken jar. I wish I had thought of buying a pretty vase. How slowly you move, child. Are you fatigued? Suppose you stay, my excellent Ursule, and help Sylvie to prepare the repast. But don't let us have that white silk dress dished up for one of the courses. It is dished indeed, sighed Ursule but she deemed it useless to remonstrate further, and noticing Sylvie's wan look, considerately remained to prepare a meal which she knew child and mother had hearts too full to enjoy, though the filial daughter never uttered one word of reproach at beholding her first earnings thus recklessly dissipated. End of chapter 7